Hey, this is not Brent Jensen. It's Jamie Blaine, and you're listening to a very special episode of No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate and your blood and bones all electric. Sorry, Brent, I had to add that part in there. We're <laughs> turning the tables today, and I'm hosting the show so that we can feature none other than Mr. Brent Jensen himself and his list of songs. And I'm very excited about that. Brent, welcome to your own show, brother. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> that was well done, man. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you've got a great list of songs here. It's, uh, it's an eclectic list. It's an interesting list. It makes me wish that I had, uh, had, had mixed my list up a little bit more. So I'm a little bit jealous in that regard. And, and it's making me hope that we can do it again down the road because uh, you gave me a lot of ideas. So we're going to jump right in with ACDC. Uh, I, you know, we could do an entire year of shows just on ACDC. Yes, we could. Uh, and, and you picked a great song. So we're going to go ACDC Sin City. Great. Um, Before we get into that, Jamie, I just wanted to say really quick that, um, you know, I face the same challenges as as the guest of the show uh, who preceded me just in terms of trying to limit this to 10 songs. You know, I'd already done this exercise, of course, for all my favorite people are broken, which this podcast kind of a spinoff of. But, um, you know, in the book, it was a little bit easier because we we intentionally did not limit ourselves to a number. So I get how hard this is now to say, okay. 10 songs must represent my, uh, my my musical identity, as it were. So I, I completely get that. That's why it's good to turn the tables on you, brother. It, it is. It, of course, you know, you and I are going to do this again, obviously. So I'm all for it. You know, to your point, we're, we're definitely going to, we're definitely going to have a lot of shows uh, together in the future. So uh, Sin City, ACDC. So, so for me, Jamie, um, ACDC is, is quintessential rock, rock and roll. And, and this song, uh, Sin City is quintessential ACDC. You know, if you don't feel anything after uh, hearing this song, I would urge you to place your thumb on your wrist and check for a pulse because yeah. you may be a cadaver if you if you don't feel it. Those first bludgeoning chords just grab me right by the shirt and throw me up into the air. You know, the, the breakdown in the song is perfect. It's brooding. It's sly. And you just know that that crescendo is coming. And when those four chords rip through the speakers, you know, it just absolutely electrifies me. And for me, um, this is how rock and roll should make us feel. You know, like we can crush buildings with our bare hands. You just, you you know what I mean? You just, you can't not have a physiological reaction to this as a music fan. You know, it's interesting to to see how ACDC kind of their legend grows over the years and I think in 500 years from now, you know, the ACDC will be the band. Um, you know, it's going to take that long to fully appreciate their contribution. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll, I'll ask you this just for fun. Sure. Uh, do you ever kind of do that that fun little exercise of, well, Bon or Brian Johnson? Oh, all the time. Yeah. 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 And, and for ACDC in particular, I think that's a very tough exercise. With other bands, it's a little bit easier. As you know, I'm a big uh, Van Halen Roth fan, but that's a different podcast. Sure. Um, it, that's tough, man. I mean, Back in Black, I'm a huge fan of that record. But at the same time, uh, going back to the Bon era ACDC stuff, you know, Sin City, Hell yeah. in a Bad Place to Be, Dog Eat Dog, all those great tunes. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't think I could pick. I really don't. Yeah, I don't either. I, 
I think what you ultimately come up to is both of them are important. Both of them contributed equally. There's a little bit of a difference between the two, and I've found as the years go by, I appreciate the Bond era more yeah. as life goes by. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, the tough thing with ACDC is so much of it has been overplayed, uh, you know, but and I appreciate you picking a song that we have not heard a million times, and I'm sure you had that reason for doing that. Yeah, well, as you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, um, you know, the the... I don't know if singles is the right word, but the more popular tunes and you shook me all night long is, is probably ACDC's biggest one of those. Right. I, 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 if I never heard that song again in my life, I would be okay with that. Um, you know, I'm kind of more of a deep cuts guy to begin with, but, um, yeah, Sin City is just what it's all about for me. Yeah, absolutely. So Brent, next on your list, taking a little swerve from ACDC, Paul McCartney, Maybe I'm amazed. Yeah, this is a fantastic song. I mean, as soon as those piano chords start, man, this song for me just kind of embodies um, pure musical beauty and, and, and classic musical sentiment. And, and, and nobody was able to do that like Paul McCartney, in my opinion. You know, McCartney could just do it all. He, for me, he, he, he remains the most prolific songwriter in the history of popular music. Um, and I don't see that changing soon. You know, the... This song just kind of turns me inside out. My my favorite part of the song comes at the end of every chorus when he does that little falsetto vocal melody. You know, it, yeah. it, it just it just gets me every time I hear it. And you know, for for me, I was listening to this song this morning, and the the funny thing about it is that you know it feels like it's not even really finished. During the last minute of it, it just kind of meanders into nothing. It just fades out, and mm-hmm. and, and it's almost like. Paul just kind of moved on and said, okay, let's go write another song, you know, <laughs> without even realizing the brilliance of what he was doing. And like, he wasn't even trying. It's just, it's, it's masterclass stuff. I, I love that he did that though. I love that he kind of gives us space to, to put our own feelings in, and projections into it. I love that it's a little unfinished. Yeah. And it, interesting too, because it came at a time, I think this was on, this was on the first solo record that he did after he left the Beatles, right? Yeah. Was it just called yeah. Paul McCartney? Ram was yeah, the second one. Yeah, Paul McCartney one. and uh, was it Wings yet? No, it wasn't even Wings. I think it was just Paul no, it and it was Paul yet. and Linda McCartney. He had two records. Yeah. This yeah. was this was on that one and the second one was called Ram. And then yeah, and that's then That's right. Yeah, I think Wings started after that. You're right. Correct. Yeah, and Paul is one of those artists that I mean, I remember hearing this song as a as a little kid, mm-hmm. um, you know, and most of these songs, they've been around with us for all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And those really great songs just grow with you through life and I, they take on different meanings and you, you can appreciate them in an entirely different way. Uh, when you were a kid, when you were in your teens, when you were in your, in college, all through life. And man, what a gift that is to well give somebody said. a song with that much depth. Very well said, yeah. Uh, yeah, McCartney is the man. There's no doubt. And, uh, you, you know, I think that kind of goes well into your next song, the classic Led Zeppelin, Down by the Seaside. Yes, I love this song. Um, you know, I included this song just because it, it, it represents for me just simple, lazy, 
bliss. And it almost juxtaposes the other songs on my list in that way because it's just very calming. It's it's relaxing. It's easy. And it's perfect to put on, you know, in the sunshine when you just want to slow down and mellow out. You know, it's almost like um, it's like Wiser Time by the Black Crows in that way. Yeah. You know, that's a good that's a good uh, comparison. Yeah. Did you listen to Zeppelin a lot when you were a kid? No. You know, it's interesting because this song came to me much later on in life. I only found out, I mean, I knew about Led Zeppelin when I was a kid, but um, when I was a teenager, Led Zeppelin was, was, uh, this sounds really funny to say, but it was like older people's music. No, I understand that completely. I, I can remember as a kid feeling like they were, they were, I don't want to say too sophisticated. They were, they were not something. They seemed like adult music to me, and I yeah. was not into it. Yeah. Um, whereas as a kid, I was able to, of course, hit ACDC and Kiss and Van Halen. Zeppelin seemed a little over my head when I was a kid. Me too. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get into them till like second year university. I remember that was like a great discovery because it was like I'd heard Cashmere before, but I just kind of forgot about it. Um, yeah. And then when I really got into, you know, Led Zeppelin three, I think was the first. That was my entry point. And just started digging through the rest of the records and, and physical graffiti to this day is my favorite. But like going through that and all the great tunes on that record, you know, the Rover, Black Country Woman, Cashmere, it just it, it was it was it was fantastic. I can remember getting into them and and you 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 had heard the obvious cuts. You had heard of course Stairway and Black Dog. And, yeah. And those kinds so many times that I don't know. For me, I'd already had this sort of preconceived notion of what Zeppelin was. Yeah. But then when you got into those deep cuts like this, yes, man, it, they just expanded so much into so many that that sort of Middle East influences, and mm-hmm. and I remember hearing this song and almost associating it with like country music or yes. bluegrass or something. Yes. And so there was a rich trove there once you got past. Their, their hit songs, so mm-hmm. to say. I think it was probably somewhere around college for me, too, where I went, man, these guys are, are pretty deep. Yeah. You know, they've got a lot to offer here. Yeah. It was just such a, a rich, kind of vast catalog of music I found. You know, even things yeah. like if you, if you go into, you know, things like Hot Dog, you know, which is kind of a preferred taste for people. But, um, yeah. you know, from those records, I mean, everything got covered by Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I I mean I love the Coda record, Hot Dog. That's Coda, right? Am I remembering that right? Coda was um, that package they put out after Bonham passed away. Coda or Hot Dog is either from. Uh, oh no, you're right. You're right. Okay, yeah. In through the outdoor, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think. Yeah. But yeah, those guys, Page and Plant and uh, Bonham, they just uh, they had a lot of musical influences to bring to the table. Yes. And. And you're a guy that thinks about music the way I do. What do you think about a band that almost gets cut down in their their prime? I mean, we look at Aerosmith, and they've had a career of what over 40 years now. Yeah. Um, you know, and have gone through so many sound changes and look changes, and and here we have Zeppelin that was cut down in what 1980. Yeah, 1980. That was pretty much that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think that worked in their favor? Or do you think that they they were so deep and rich as a band that they could have continued for another two or three or four decades, continuing to give us some really rich content? That's a terrific question. And I might get some rocks thrown at me for this, but I would say it was probably a good thing that that happened in them based on those last two records. Um, Yeah. 
you know, we've we've talked about this before, the fact that bands, you know, have plateaus and, and kind of backslides, you know, the, and regardless, yeah. they just do, right? That's just, that's, sure. that's the nature of it. And sure. I think that, truth be told, I think that Led Zeppelin was on a backslide. Yeah. Now, whether they could have come out of that... Entirely possible, is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for rock geeks like us, that's a great question to to ponder. Mm-hmm. And and if you if I love a band, I want them to. I, I still want it, even if it's not very good. I like appreciate you trying. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I, however that sounds. If you talk about McCartney, I mean, God bless Paul McCartney, but he came to a point to where he just put out a lot of stuff that wasn't very good yes uh, and you know so i may get rocks thrown at me too for that but I, I think that's you know i think that's pretty established that he put out a lot of stuff that just wasn't very great yeah uh, but a band like aerosmith you know if you love the dream on era and maybe you're not very much a fan of the janie's got a gun era i liked both eras i very much appreciated that that's, they sobered up and came around for a second round that to me produced a lot of music that i very much love I, you know that is, a, is an excellent example of a band that had almost two careers right yeah they oh, had yeah. you're right the dream on era for me i love i like that a little bit more just because it was a little bit more pure and raw and rough sure um sure but you know at the same time i, I appreciate the other era as well it was, it was a lot of good music um coming out of that and in my in my book no sleep till subway i actually talked about that that they did have two careers and and the dream on era was almost like that jezebel that you bring home at the end of the night you know after a booze up and the <laughs> the, the 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 new aerosmith was almost like the prom queen who had really great smelling hair that you'd introduce to your mom that's a brilliant way to put it. Brilliant. I mean, if if you watch the concert, there's a DVD or something, you know, from Aerosmith in the 70s. And, man, it's just, to me, it was real lackluster. They're just sort of standing there, uh, you know, obviously into their drugs and, yeah. and comatose. And it's just not very good. You know, they're playing toys in the attic and all of these stuff. But they're just sort of rushing through them. Mm-hmm. And then you look at this, you know, you know, you see some live clips from, you know, Permanent Vacation and Pump and Air, and man, it's like a brand new band. I mean, they're they're energetic and they're they look great and there's a lot of interaction between them. Yeah. But if you got to pick between one of those two eras, it's a tough pick because both of them have a lot of merit. I, I fully agree. So you have to wonder if a Led Zeppelin could pull something like that off. I don't know. What would the new... I get, Maybe we saw an indication of what the new Led Zeppelin would sound like with those last two records. You know, a lot of keyboard influence. Less... It was a little bit more polished. It was a little less rough. It was, you know, maybe maybe that was an indication. I'm not sure. Interesting question, though. Yeah, I mean, you see the direction that Plant went off into. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean... Gosh, they, you look at this guy's last, what, three or four solo albums now, and just some really eclectic stuff, some really out there stuff. Oh, and yeah. And we know that Paige, you know, Paige sort of did that too. Yeah. I liked Fool in the Rain, so, you know, I, I wouldn't have been against them going in that direction and seeing what else came up. You know, if you geek out on rock stuff, there's uh, there, there's got to be a reason for all of that, because Zeppelin certainly came to a point to where you know, Bonham's kid could have taken over and done a serviceable job for sure. 
Yeah, I always wondered about that too. And I, I like the, the direction the plant went in. And talking about rock geekery, you, you follow those guys and you follow their careers and, and plants two solo records when he left Zeppelin, um, Principal Moments and Pictures at Eleven. I liked them both. Yeah. You know, Big Log, uh, In the Mood, I thought were great, oh, man. great tunes. Love Big Log, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, what did Page do? He did Outrider. Um, he yeah. was in The Firm for a little while with Paul Rogers. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, <laughs> when he was with uh, David Coverdale in, uh, was was it Coverdale Page? Was, is that what they Coverdale called it? Coverdale Page. Remember that? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and Robert Plant called David Coverdale David Cover version. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was a little mean-spirited. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. You know, but how great did they sound on that, you know, reunion a few years back? I mean... Here are these guys coming, I don't know how many, 20, 30 years yeah. later, yeah. you know, for this one-off reunion, playing with Jason. Yes. And it was just magic, man. It was it was everything that you wanted it. It was everything I wanted it to be. Yeah. So, yeah, when you get to that point, you almost appreciate the tease. It's like, my gosh, you gave it to us, and then you just went away. Yeah, and I think the guy who's holding back is Plant, right? He's he's the holdout. He doesn't want to go ahead with it. I think uh, yeah. John Paul Jones, you know, he's kind of the odd man out. He certainly wants to do it. I know Paige sure. wants to do it. Um, yeah. But Plant doesn't want to kind of, you know, relive the old days, I suppose. Yeah. You know, and ultimately, I know when we did, uh, we did our interview here, you know, that's something that we touched on a few times is – What's great is when a rock band not only gives you something to listen to throughout your life, mm-hmm. but they give you things to think about. They sort of have this soap opera that, that, that gives you so much fun to just think about, well, what if this would have happened? And, and what if they went that direction? Yes. And, you know, so I know I've thought about, okay, this Zeppelin reunion and, and geez, man, Jason could have taken over when he was in his teens because, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's, I, I don't want to, get into the debate of is he as good as his dad but i think he is an excellent drummer i think so too. certainly fill those shoes yeah definitely what was that uh band that he was in with a guy named master well he was in black country communion is that what you're thinking about no that was but it was more recently this is like this is in the 80s i want to say air race but i don't think it was that they had a single and it was pretty. It was pretty poppy. I can't remember. People are probably listening, going, "It's this," but um, yeah. Anyway, I, I'll remember it later. If, it, if I remember it during the episode, I'll, I'll shout it out. But yeah. Uh, well, he had a band named Bonham, sort of in the hair metal era. Didn't maybe he? it was. Maybe it was Bonham. I don't know why I'm saying Air Race. I think that might have been before. It was kind of like a short-lived band. But uh, yeah, the tune actually. He had is- a band named. He had a band named Bonham, and I think they had that song "Wait for You," which was that's it. That's was, it. Yeah, it was kind of Zeppelin-y sounding. Yes. Um, but it was also very uh, telling of the hair metal era, so it it wasn't everything you wanted it to be. But I didn't think it was bad at all. No, neither did I. Actually, I enjoyed it. I bought the I bought the record. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lest we talk about Zeppelin for the entire podcast, we're gonna have to move <laughs> on here. <laughs> But but we've got a great place to move on because it's Wise Up by Amy May. Yeah, this is uh, thinking about Down by the Seaside. I, I appreciate Down by the Seaside all the more because of how I grew up. Um, the reason being, I came to know you know Down by the Seaside much later because it almost provided me like with this emotional comfort. Um, when I was younger, I was drawn to a lot of sad songs and angry songs. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I talked about that 
in Broken a little bit by saying that they almost balanced me out, almost like the way that a junkie uses quaaludes and cocaine, you know? Yeah, that's it, great, yes. But, but um, you know, it's down by the seaside. Come, it was almost a buffer against those two things because a song sure. like, like Wise Up is definitely a sad song. And it kind of reminds me of the, the sad songs of my youth. You know, it, it uses that kind of 70s approach of, of positioning um, pretty lilting instrumentation with you know ugly lyrical themes the way that the carpenters did and the way that um velvet underground did you know i i just and jamie like i i i love these sad songs but over the course of my life i've always asked myself you know do these songs mend the holes in my heart or do they make them you know and i i I, but I, i don't know the answer to that question and that's my fascination with these songs wow that was that's that's a deep saying (laughs) Um, you know, I was going to talk about (laughs) how Amy Mann was, was maybe a little underrated in her career and she never quite got up there as much as you wanted her to, but that's an excellent point. Uh, you know, do the sad songs, do they make the holes or mend the holes? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think I I know. Yeah. I don't either, but it's a, um, it's gotta be therapeutic in some regard. I would imagine. It, It definitely is. Yeah. But it's almost like that hurts so good mentality, you know? Well, when you're feeling low, you want to hear a song that meets you where you are. Exactly. Just as if, um, and if you're having a bad day, you don't want to see that person that's going to try to cheer you up with a bunch of cliches or, you know, man, you sure don't want to hear, don't worry, be happy. (laughs) Right? You know, I'm sure that guy had good intentions. Oh, are you having a bad day? Ah, man, don't worry. Be happy. Get away from me. (laughs) Uh, You know. Uh, So you want a song that meets you where you are, and that's why, to guys like us, music is such, man, it's it's such therapist and prophet and you know consoler and because it meets you where you are. Yeah, exactly. And, And you feel you feel in some crazy way. You're like. This song understands me, man. It gets me. Mm-hmm. And that's a powerful thing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. I got to ask you this. What did you think about Amy Mann's work with Rush? What? I I would ask you when this happened. I had no idea that happened. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, um, I would say it's probably late 80s or early 90s. No way. That, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. It's not bad you know rush had that stage in the um probably more early 90s where they were a little too poppy a little bit too much keyboard not enough alex and too much getty yes not enough getty playing the bass and too much getty playing the keyboards agree power windows yeah yeah through the 80s um well it was uh you know actually it was in the late 80s because it was time stand still okay uh, was the um, she sings on that? Yes. Oh wow! Because yeah. let me. So, so she was in Till Tuesday, right? Yes. And so Voices Carry was the big tune. Yeah, it was that, their big one-hit wonder. Yeah. That, that was Amy Mann. So that yeah. that predated uh, Time Stand Still. Yeah, I think um, I think Voices Carry probably would have been maybe eighty-three. Yeah, eighty-four. Yeah, somewhere I'd in say, there. I'd say eighty-four. Yeah. And that was a, you know, that was probably a thing that, um, you know, Amy, I think was a bigger artist in Canada than she was in the States. Really? Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, I guess from down here in the South, I always thought, well, Amy and Getty, that's a Canada thing, you know? Yeah. 
I'm going to try and get her on the show. You should. I want to. Uh, well, I, you know, she probably wouldn't be that difficult. Maybe she's listening. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, you know, if you're listening, come on the show. Looks, she still looks great. Um, I think she's had some some issues and some struggles with mental health, but she's kind of been an advocate and outspoken about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had some friends that have had run-ins with her and, and say that she's uh, kind of quiet, but is actually a very, very nice person. So she'd be great to have on the show. Good. Well, we're going to reach out. And, and you know what goes perfectly with Amy Mann. What a great segue is, is Motley Crue. <laughs> Sharp right turn. <laughs> yeah. Which, so, but see, which, Jamie, this, this is the cocaine to the quaaludes now. I think uh, Motley Crue liked cocaine and quaaludes. <laughs> I, I think they uh, they give a, a thanks to both of those on the, the Shout of the Devil LP. And and uh, then and some. And the acknowledgments. And then some. Jack yeah. Daniels and Crown. many, many other things. Yeah. Uh, and as far as I know, Amy Mann did not do any duets with uh, Vince Neil. Um, <laughs> as far as we know. I'm, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure she's Motley, thankful for Motley that. Motley Crue is such, is, they're such a fun band. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, you, you picked looks that kill. And I know if, if it was me, I would have a very hard time picking one Motley Crue song. So tell me how you picked Looks That Kill. That was the song that I'd heard, uh, well, more or less first. It was it was the second track on, on Shout at the Devil. And my introduction to Motley Crue was via a magazine ad that I saw in Cream Magazine back in, I think it was 83. And, you know, it just, it literally, you know, I felt like I was lit on fire. I looked at this thing and it was like, you know, leather, fire, blood, hair, you know, it's like, I gotta get this record. And, um, you know, when when I wrote No Sleep Till Subway, I I talked about that stuff. And I talked about the emotional investment that I made in music as a small town, stimulus deprived kid looking for stronger sensations. And, and Motley Crue was the band that provided me one of the bands that provided me with that. And it's not, it's, you know, Jamie, it's not sophisticated music. It's not intellectually stimulating music. It just, it, it <laughs> Thank just, God. It, it just scratches the itch for a kid who's kind of looking for a place to happen at that age, you know? Yeah. And, and with, with Motley Crue in particular, I've said in the past that the best thing about being young is that we're afforded the liberty of being stupid, right? And Motley Crue Shout of the Devil is a stupid record for stupid young yes. people. That's just put simply, that's what it is. That's a great quote. What else can you say about Motley Crue after you say that? That's yeah. just it. And it's not a slight. Uh, no, no, no. No, I understand completely. I uh, I like my rock and roll a little bit stupid. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot stupid. I think it should be. Me too. Uh, and and those guys were very smart about being stupid. Uh, you know, Nikki Six is a sharp guy. He is. And and he understood. He I, I remember hearing him talk about that gatefold in a live two. Yeah. And the way that made him feel. And he said he wanted to recapture the way that the bombs and the blood and the spectacle and the and I think they were very successful with that on Shout at the Devil. Certainly they were. There's no question. Yeah. yeah. Nobody has been more successful at that than than recapturing that kiss excitement than Motley Crue. Agree. To me. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No. Great, great cut. See, I love it. It's um, and again, I mean, it's it's it just gets your blood pumping, right? It's tribal. It's basic. It's just it's it's good dumb rock and roll. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, and you know, 
coming from Amy Mann and Motley Crue, it's the natural step to go to stereophonic. <laughs> <laughs> you were cocaine and quaaludes here, my man. Yeah, this is we're going back to the quaaludes now. Uh, stereophonics, handbags, and glad rags. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it out there. Uh, I love this song, and it always, I love it the way I love a good Rod Stewart song. So. Yeah. So uh, lay lay a little stereophonics on me. Well, I prefer the stereophonics version of this song. This I think this song was written back in the '60s or, or even late '50s by somebody, and you know it's it's been covered a zillion times by Rod sure. Stewart, famously, um, a couple other folks. But stereophonics, in my opinion, does the best job of it. And there's something about this song. You know, I actually fear this song. Can you believe that? Just because. Hmm. Explain that. I I, I fear it because I feel like it has my number so completely that it just, it controls my emotions. You know, like I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want to hear it in line at the bank. You know, it, wow. it, it, but it, seriously, it does. And, and, and it, it's funny because it's not a sad song at all. The lyrics are actually about a, a man telling a young girl that um, fashion and, and clothing aren't as important as she seems to think they are. It's, it's yeah. the instrumentation that really gets me of the song, the changes and the way the chords are assembled. It's just yeah. that the, the, if you think about the song, the bridge is just this perfect lead up to the chorus. And it delivers that knockout punch that just reduces me. I get emotional every time I hear the song. And I, I, I'm not completely certain as to why that is, um, but it just reduces me. That's a great way to put it, because I love songs that have that incongruence about them. I mean, I don't know if we can use a big word like that on a, on a, on a rock and roll <laughs> podcast. Keep it dumb, Jamie. But, uh, well, uh, I, I couldn't think of another word to use, but... You know, I love those songs that hit you emotionally and you have to you have to wonder why. You're like, oh, wait a minute, this is hitting me on one level, but then it's it's hitting me on this deeper level and I don't really understand why. Yeah. And it makes you it makes you think. Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder. And gosh man, you're so right. You don't want to hear that song, you know, in line at the bank or at the dentist's office or Yeah. Uh, you know, and so much of the spirit of these lists to me is, you know, I, I hate when radio cheapens the emotional effect of songs by overplaying them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you're right. Those those songs are special in that regard. They take you to a special place. Yeah. And they they touch a part of you that. And I like when you don't quite know why. And and the reason I had said Rod Stewart at first, I agree with you. I think they actually out. I think they do a better job of it than Rod yeah. Stewart did. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no mean feat. No, I, I, I agree. Exactly. Yeah. Next on the list, uh, STP, Stone Temple Pilots with Sour Girl. Yeah. So, Jamie, this song was a late addition for me just because I kind of struggled with including it here. Um, I realized that, though, after thinking about it, that, that if I was really being true to myself, you know, in talking about the songs that uh, elicit powerful feelings, then I have to just, I, I have to include this. So the reason why I included it is because I've always felt like it underscores the relationship that I had uh, with my late wife, Allison, uh, before yeah. I lost her to cancer in 2015. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'm not going to get into that too deeply, but what I will say about uh, that is that um, in forms of art, like music in particular, we tend to look for connectivity and we tend to look for, you know, relation. And, and all three of my books talk about that. But um, further to this 
idea, you know, some of us look for redemption in music and some of us look for restitution and, and, and emotional relief. And, you know, for this song, there are just so many uncanny lyrical references to our relationship in Sour Girl that, you know, after, after she passed away, I would listen to this song like 10 or 12 times in a row doing just that, just, just looking for emotional relief. And, and I still do it. Yeah. You know, that's so well said, man. Music is the reason we do this is music is such a gift, man. Yeah. And it, it, it connects with us in ways that nothing else ever could. Yeah. And it consoles us and it takes us to the, those places and it, and it, it is redemptive, and it does carry us through the worst of times, man. You know, it'll meet you in a place that nobody else can. Exactly. Um, and I, you know, I appreciate you having the guts to put that on there and talk about that because I just can't, I can't imagine how difficult something like that must have been. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, next song. Wow. Do you, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, what's the next tune? Uh, the next song, uh, a very short number, Rental Love by Lakeside Dive. And I have to tell you, I was not familiar with this song or mm-hmm. this band, somehow or another. Uh, sometimes things just fall through the cracks, so I immediately had to go and, and check this out and check them out. What'd you think? And uh, I, I liked it a lot. So Good. anytime somebody's able to introduce me to something new like that, that, that somehow slipped out of my radar, man, I'm always so appreciative of that. Yeah, no, me too. That, so, that's a that's a real gift, you know, sharing music in that way. And I, I I'm always super appreciative of that myself. But the song's like two minutes long. They're they're in and out of it very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I kind of couldn't wait to get to this to say, man, tell me why this made your list. So like you, um, so first of all, this is a this is a very you know wistful, genuine kind of blue eyed soul song that, um, like you, it was introduced to me recently um, by a close friend of mine. And um, I, I, I strongly suggest that, that uh, you know, listeners check out this song and this band as well, Lake Street Dive. But um, it, the reason why I put this on is just because it's exactly what I seek in music, the, the fragility, there's a purity in emotion. And um, the song's crescendo comes right around the two-minute mark. It's, it's two minutes and 30 seconds long, I think. And, and right around the two-minute mark, uh, the singer Rachel's voice cracks. And, and this, this tsunami of emotion comes through the speakers. And you can <laughs> physically feel it. You know, and that, that tsunami wave is sustained all the way through those 30 seconds to end the song by her desperate kind of wounded vocal. And when it ends, you're just left reduced by what you've heard. I, the song completely took me by surprise when I heard it. Everything just stopped, and I played it over and over and over again. And for me, the, the best thing about these songs is that they allow you that opportunity to put yourself inside them. You know, they allow for um, vicarious experience. And through these songs, you can kind of you, you, you can reach out and touch the flame without burning your hand. You know, you can kind of flirt with that darkness without having to, to deal with it or confront it directly. And, and and with this song, particularly those last 30 seconds, it's, it's almost like it's almost like reliving every heartbreak you've ever experienced over the course of your life all at the same time. It's that intense and it's that powerful. But, you know, for me, there's there's a beauty in, in experiencing that that's that's undeniable. Uh, my friend, you got a you got a gifted way of describing music. That's exactly, <laughs> well, that's what we're all looking. For. That's what we all struggle to articulate when you say, "What does music mean to you?" And and that's a way to put it. And you know, I would almost say, 
that's what we're looking for in music is that vulnerability. Yeah. But obviously it's not all the time. ACDC were not a vulnerable band and neither were Motley Crue. And we obviously love those bands very much, mm -hmm. uh, as well as, as well as the last band on your list that we'll get to here in a minute. Yeah. But you've got to have that. You've got to have that in between the cracks. You've got to have those songs that take you to those places. Yeah. Um, and when they do, you appreciate whether it's the singer, the whole band, you appreciate them pulling that guard down to take you to that to a very fragile place. It's a it's a privilege. It, I, I consider it a privilege. It's like they told you a secret. Yes, exactly. That's they a, trusted you with a secret. Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. I'm glad you saved this one for last because this is the one I'm the most excited about. Okay. Uh, and I and I love the uh, I love the choice here. But uh, top on your list is Kiss, a band that's very close to my heart, close to a lot of our hearts, and a song that, um, that, that seems like a little bit of an odd choice, but it's from their Dynasty LP in 1979 when the band was starting to fracture, uh, and the song is Sure Know Something. Yeah. Like you say, this might be an odd pick, but it, it is relevant. You know, first of all, this, this song at face value um, shouldn't really trigger any emotion in you, you know, but every time I hear this, it just, it gives me goosebumps. Like it makes my skin vibrate. And I realized after thinking about this quite a lot that, um, this was really the first song that I ever heard in, in my life that accommodated kind of both of my childhood emotional Joneses. So loneliness and aggression, the quaaludes and the cocaine. And, um, the song kind of got me at just that precise right time, the key time in my adolescence when it came time for me to figure out how to transmute loneliness into aggression. When you become a teenager, you know, and and and, and by aggression, I don't mean going out and beating people up or anything like that, but just kind of yeah. more like a move towards uh, fearlessness and a coming of age as a teenager and taking on all those new kind of experiences and, and that sort of thing, you know, and and yeah. The song literally served as as almost this um, transformational gateway from being a, a, a lonely, timid little kid to being a more assertive teenager. And and you know, seeing Ace Frehley um, playing the song in that video really kind of galvanized that for me. You know, because I was at that time, everyone is. I mean, you, you, I was just that hyper impressionable. You know, and I thought that he was the coolest guy on earth. And you and I have talked about this before, but. Yeah. That that's what this song means to me. And before, you know, I'd, I'd listen to it and I'd kind of I'd get goosebumps and think like, why? But the more I thought about it, the more that's why that is. When I was on your show, uh, I think I'd put uh, cut from Ace's solo record, and and the reason I'd put that on is because it expanded such a universe of thinking for me and, and so much deep thinking. Mm -hmm. And I was excited to see this song on your list because it does the same thing. It is so so separate from everything else to that point in the kiss universe it is so different from love gun or black diamond or deuce or strutter or take me yes um it's almost kind of like this really you know keyboardy early 80s almost like a rupert holmes song or something, for lack of a better exactly you know it's almost got like this elevator music sort of a sound to it it's very soft rock yeah and it's just not a Kiss song at all. No. And yet, it's uh, you know, it's a song that I, as a Kiss fan, I absolutely love. There is something about it that is just, it's just perfect. Yeah. 
but it's not metallic. It's no. not that standard Kiss sound. So when I listen to it, and I remember hearing this song as a as a, a really little kid, mm-hmm. but I guess when you're in that kid frame of mind, I don't remember there being any sort of conflict in my mind of going, well, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like Shock Me yeah. or, God of, or God of Thunder or Detroit Rock City, but there's just something that I loved about it. It, it just it still amazes me because I'm like, how did they pull this off? How did they do something so different from their catalog? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's to me, it's not even like our earlier Aerosmith example of going, okay, you know, you know, here's these guys doing uh, Train Kept a Rolling, you know, or uh, Toys in the Attic, and then now they're doing uh, Amazing or Crazy, which is this, you know, I don't want to miss a thing, ah, but. To me, that was not that big of a of a jump. Yeah. From hotter than hell to sure know something, it's just sort of a cosmic <laughs> leap. Yeah, definitely. And you're thinking, how does how did they make this work? Because for me, it works. Yeah. Here's the thing, Jamie. For me, we, we don't pick music. You know, it picks us, and particularly at that age. You know, like <laughs> and, and and Paul Stanley and Kiss um, with this. Kind of achieved this almost in spite of themselves. They certainly didn't intend this to happen to me, you know. And yeah. and, and quite honestly, if I could choose uh, the song that defined this transformational kind of representation to me, would I pick this song? No. Would I have picked something more kind of culturally cooler? Maybe like um, I don't know, like Street Fighting Man by the Stones or a Stones tune? Maybe. Yeah. You know, because it's yeah. kind of weird to say, well, you know, my representational song is sure knows something by Kiss. You know, but I, I feel like I can't deny the truths involved in this because I, I value um, the 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 purity of the idea too much. You know, I'd only be lying to myself if I didn't acknowledge this stuff. You could, you could easily have a, a cooler, you know, more sophisticated list, but that's not what this is about at all. You know, no, it's that um, that great um, Lester Bangs quote. You know. The only real currency in this world is the things we tell each other when we're not trying to be cool. Exactly. And I think music has to, you have to come from a really honest place. And Mm -hmm. if we all did lists where we just picked, you know, the list where we were trying to be cool, you know, here's, here's all the cool songs that songs that show how cool I am. Yeah. That would be a very boring program and very boring list. Exactly. To me. Exactly. So, you know, in talking about the vulnerability, there is something really vulnerable about this song and and and, i mean i'm right with you i remember seeing that video and and thinking man how is gene pulling this off that's that's the god of that's the god of thunder man (laughs) that's right blood and fire here's this very sort of synthesizer sort of soft very uh for lack of a better word very sort of lavender song yes um and and there's Ace over there, oh, and, yeah. you know, stumbling, shock me, you know, the spaceman, and he's wearing a cape. It off. Yeah, yeah, he's wearing, he's wearing a silver cape. Yeah, and they're doing sure no something, but there is something about that song, man, that I am just all in for. Yeah, no, um, it does it does it for me too, man. So I am I am so with you on that. It cool. just does it. And while I'm listening to it, I'm thinking, what is it about this song, man? Yeah, you know very much with you on that well brother i was trying to be a good host over here and i didn't know if i was or not or dude that was so so good so <laughs> yeah if you want to if you want to finish out the show oh you want to do a wrap-up yeah
you do whatever you want. Okay. Um, well, this is Jamie Blaine, and you've been listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury. It's been my privilege and honor to turn the tables and interview my friend and colleague and a guy I trust enough to where we don't have to try to be cool and we can just tell the truth. Mr. Brent Jensen. And, sir, I look forward to, uh, to many more shows together. Me too, brother. Me too. Thank you very much. This was a lot of fun for me. And, again, I thank you for the opportunity to do this and get in on the fun too. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Bye, everybody. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Subbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.